0: Baruch ettah adonai, Eloheinu melek halalam, asher kishanu be metwata la'asok la divre torah, ve haarevna adonai, Eloheinu et divre torateka, Befinu ufi am ka betisrael, ve niea anachnu, ve ze zeinu, ve ze am ka betisrael, kulanu yodea shemeka, velom de torateka lishma. Baruk Ata adonai, ham lamet torah leamo yisrael, Kili Kilishuateka kiviti Ashem Barukh haba Aronai Hakadosh Baruku. Please send Mashiach now. I'd like to welcome you to the Balak PSI. The please source it for the tour portion of Balak. This tour portion is so packed with prophecy, parables, brakot. And all sorts of stuff. And this is the Torah portion that is Mashiach heavy. You know, uh, I used to call this Parsha blow up. So might as well just call it that again. Uh, Parsha Hukat and Parsha Balak are typically read together. Uh, But this year, uh, if you're in Eretz Israel, it's not read together. But if you're in the diaspora outside of Eretz Israel, Guess what? It's read together. So, I call Parsha Hukat. I called it this year, I called it Hooked Up. But uh, I normally call that one Parsha Choke Out. And then this is Blow Up. So, Parsha Choke Out and Blow Up is what I like to call both of these. But if you really look at what's going on, you have the two Mashiachs. These two Torah portions speak of the two Mashiachs. Mashiach bin Yosef, the one who who is to come and to die for us, and then will ultimately be raised and resurrected. Hence why the Egerot, the letters of the apostles are so full of resurrection and the forgiveness of our transgressions and sins and our cleansing, our atonement, all of that through the resurrection of Mashiach. And yes, I want to be clear that we must focus on the resurrection of Mashiach because if we only focus on his death, guess what? We're still going to stay stuck in sin, stuck in our filth, and we will never move forward and grow. At that point, you might as well jump in the mikveh. Yes, I say jump, like literally jump in the mikveh and don't ever come back up because that's the equivalent of focusing on the death of Mashiach without... Connecting it to the resurrection. This is what many believers have done for thousands of years. And it's time to stop it. Just stop right now. You know, we need to, people need to get in the mikvah, immerse, come back up, say the bracha, immerse two more times and get out there and start transforming the world. I mean, come on. Like that was the goal. Mashiach said this in Matthew 28 go and make Talmudim. Now, if you think about the concept of making a Talmud, when a person is a Talmud, look at how Mashiach raised his Talmudim. He spent, give or take, three years. Tradition says it was about three years. So we'll just go with that. Even so, back during that time, the Torah portion cycle took, three years to complete. Now, currently we are on a one year track where we finish the Torah in a year and we are back in Bereshit. So, but in antiquity, Talmudic times, it was a three year process. So if you think about it, the way that Mashiach raised up his Talmudim would have been like going through every single Torah portion in depth. You know, we think right now. Oh my gosh, I only get seven days. I only get seven Ali-Oat. and if it's a double portion, double tour portion, then it's like, oh goodness, I'm getting gypped, you know. And uh, you can hear Rabbi Griffin Shlitah bringing that down on the Oliot day because he's just like, yeah, uh, double tour portion this week. So much content. Are you kidding me? But yes. So I'm gonna go ahead and just throw it out there that if you think about. How we are called. We are called to do this. That means this is what the will of God is for your life making Talmudim. So, again, to go back to what I was saying, look at how Mashiach did it. When he called his Talmudim, they were in the middle of doing the most random things. And None of them knew, I mean, well, I'm not just going to say none of them, but was there halakha, really? At least one of the the ones of the Talmudim was a zealot, which is basically like a Zionist, which is like, you know, um, the concept of, yeah, Israel needs to be a state and we need to be zealous about, you know, the capital, things like that. Uh, Not so much religion, but much more territorial, conquest, you know, political, that kind of stuff. You know, like what's going on today? Oh, everybody needs to make Aliyah under these conditions. That always seems to be a sore spot. But, you know, if you take the lapid, which we have, thank you Hashem, And apply that to the soreness, right? Like some Icy hot. Guess what? If you really want to make Aliyah, you would make proselytes. Period. A million percent. That's what we would do. We would make proselytes. We would give every single person that we encounter that is in our little bubbles, in our worlds, not just random people on the street. Hey, can I tell you about the Torah? No, not that kind of stuff, but the people who you live and you brush shoulders with on a daily basis. And yes, I'm talking specifically your family, because the biggest people who need to be proselytized is your own household. We need to see each other's walk because not that we need to try to copy and do everybody's walk, because remember, we learned from the Vav uh, that was brought down in this fancy book from Ishqa Slita. He was talking about the Vav says that, you know, you have to learn your own path, your own journey that you're on, because if you try to emulate somebody else's path, their spiritual journey, you will fail. And so it's just kind of like you have your own calling, your own unique way that Hashem is has called for you in Avoda, in your service to Hashem, your reasonable service. And so... If we're looking at each other's fervent zeal, passion, illumination of Hashem daily, you know, that inspires us and what we do, you know, and then what you do will inspire someone else. And the thing is, you don't need words all the time to do this. Just from the fact that you're thirsty, you say you you go get your vessel that you're going to pour your drink into. And you say a bracha and you drink it and you say the after bracha for once you're done drinking it. And you're going on about your day. You know, did you study any Torah that day? You know, and is it on your face? Is it coming out in your actions? You know, because a lot of times we study, we pray, we try to do mitzvot, but it never comes out in our demeanor. You know, which is kind of sad because the opposite happens when we don't actively do that. If we don't actively focus on pushing out Torah and mitzvot uh, acts of kindness and our prayer through our deeds. Guess what comes out? Bitterness. Frustration. Anger. Resentment. Oh, and this is a big one. Haughtiness. And those are just naming a few. But the the level of patience the level of compassion the level of support the level of giving people their space you know not lording over people you know mashiach tells us this that the nations lord positions over one another in other words they think they're better than one another let's see here um I'm going to go to this source. Uh, Mashiach's words are so, so poignant. Okay, I know Kepha talks about it. Here it is. Let's say the Kepha verse first. Uh, Kepha is in a first... Garrett Kepha, the first letter of Kepha, chapter five, verse three, specifically is what it's talking about, but let's read it in context. It says, as a fellow elder, a witness of Mashiach's sufferings and partaker of the glory to be revealed, I appeal to the elders among you, be shepherds of God's flock, that is among you, watching over them, not out of compulsion But because it is God's will, not out of greed, but out of eagerness. Here it is. Key verse, verse three, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And verse four. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. So this is the thing. You're appointed in a leadership position, right? Well you're not appointed in that position to belittle people, look down on them, to force them to do things and be like, Listen, you listen to me. You're sub you are being insubordinate. You're talking back you know, and all that kind of stuff. You don't that that's not how we roll. Okay? We're servant leaders. Okay, just like the chief shepherd. We have to realize, yeah, we may be a shepherd, but guess what? We're not the chief shepherd. Uh, as Chaitz Shlita, which is my fellow uh, Chavivi up in the Canada area, his name is Yosef, he was bringing this down, he says that today, the rabbis are basically stewards, just holding the standards of what was set down by the Sanhedrin, you know, and so, it's it's a really beautiful thing that, you know, you you should have a rabbi. If you don't, you might want to work on that because if not, you'll just be out there by yourself just trying to work it out. And it's just kind of like rowing one person in a canoe. You know, it's like, okay, you you might do good, but if uh, you run out of food supply, if you're stuck in the middle of the lake and there's a bunch of rapids and you're in a canoe, yeah, you're to have some issues. Okay, but if you have a rabbi, if you have a community, you're going to be like fortified, you know, and it's amazing. And yeah, you're going to have the give and takes going on because that's going to play into the atonement that the community provides. Nobody ever really thinks about atonement when they think about community because you're so wrapped up in your what offended you, what you like and what you dislike. But you have to remember we have to stay covered. We have to stay surrounded because we need to be this thing called sober minded because there's not a lot of sober mindedness going on in the world today, especially with all the fear mongering that's happening. Okay. Because for some reason now we're turning our attention to one type of sickness and being like, if we get that sickness, that's it. When, when, if you have cancer, chaspe shalom, or any other type of drastic illness like that, uh, yeah, that's definitely going to take you out. You know, um, you in know, Bezrada Hashem, there's mercy in that, but, you know, it's just kind of this out-of-balance, off-kilter kind of perspective that's been going on. So, got stay sober-minded. And so this is why, you know, if you're getting pushed out of your comfort zone, if you're feeling a little bit of rub, you're like, man, I don't, I didn't like that. I didn't like that person or I didn't like that statement. You know, it's like, well, good Baruch Hashem, because guess what? That was some atonement for you because we, we don't ever think about it, but there are little things that we do that are sins and that we're not even aware of. And when we have this unfortunate circumstance happen to us, whatever it is, whether it's a a little disgruntledness, a little bitterness, or somebody, you know, uh, treated you less than what you desired of them, you know, and things like that. Well, guess what? Because of that situation, that's a little bit of atonement for you. And so when you're in a community, you're going to get a lot of that, which is going to keep you nice and shiny before Hashem. Bezrat Shem, because the thing is, is yeah, atonements can go out. But if we're not doing our due diligence to stay aware of that, to stay in a posture of repentance, then it's like, you know, you're just in a downward spiral of just angerness and you're just going to be like, I'm out, I'm out, you know, kind of thing. So don't do that. So stay focused. So here's Mashiach's words. Which is, you know, the living Torah. So, this is what the Torah would say about that, which I think is really awesome. You know, again, just continuing to renew my mind about Mashiach because, again, I grew up Christian. So, it's just kind of this, you know, one person of the Trinity thought. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not it, you know. And then, obviously, as you come into Torah and, you're Jewish and you're trying to be observant and you're learning all the sources and things. You're just feeling like, okay, how do I put Yeshua now? You know? So anyway, it's a uh, very healthy. If you look at Mashiach as the Torah, you know, in human form. So, uh, that way you don't get thrown off when people say, Oh, you believe in that mixing God and divinity and man and human stuff. And it's just kind of like, no, I don't really know what you're getting at, but I believe in Mashiach Yeshua, who is the son of Hashem, and he's the Torah made flesh, and he's one with Hashem, and he's the shaking over Hashem, and he's Tet. so if you can really explain me, and yeah, say it like that, if you can explain me how the angel of Hashem works, then I'd totally love to hear you out on that, so Yeah. Anyway, uh, just to throw some things out at you. But Mashiach says in Mashiach Yeshua, that is, may he be blessed. Uh, This is Matthew 20, verse 25. Yeshua called them together and says, you know that the rulers of the Goyim, the Gentiles, the pagans, the nations, they lorded over them. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Verse 26. 26. As Rabbi Griffin would say. It says, it shall not be this way among you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. Just as the son of man did not come. I said he did not come to be served, but to serve. And oh, yeah. So totally serve. Put yourself beneath people. You know, you're the last one to really, you know, desire, honor kind of stuff. But yeah, that's just one piece of the pie. The other piece of the pie is give his life as a ransom for many you know, kind of the no greater love than this, than one lay his life down for those who he loves, you know, that kind of thing. Sacrificial type giving, you know, which really if you can't sacrificially give of your money, yeah, this is going to swerve real quick in the tithing. Then how are you really going to say that you can lay down your life for other people like love the Lord, your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your resources and then love your neighbors. As you love yourself. It's just like, well, I can't really give a shit my resources. I don't really trust them with that. So how can you really trust yourself to serve other people? And oh yeah, give your life as a ransom for them. You know, Shaul said it best to really illustrate this. This is from Romans ten. So the Agarit to Rome ten, verse one, brothers. My heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is for their Yeshua, that they be delivered. Because you realize at this time, Rome is really, you know, uh, increasing in influence and affluence and uh, really delegating everything. And people are abrogating Torah. It's Sadduceeical Judaism, which is oxymoron because Sadducees don't really... Believe in oral Torah and angels and all that kind of stuff. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway, that's what's going on. So that means they don't believe in the Mashiach. So that means they would have no salvation, even though they claim Torah. But we all know that if you claim Torah and you don't have the oral Torah, you have nothing. So that's kind of awkward. But anyway, that's that's something to point out with that whole passage, but here's what I was getting to verse two for, I testify about them that they are zealous for God, but not on the basis of knowledge, which is Torah, which means they're lacking the oral Torah. It says, because they are ignorant of God's righteousness and sought to establish their own, you know, like we're going to do it like this. Forget about how we've done it for thousands of years. For Mashiach is the end of the Torah and to bring righteousness to everyone who believes. Where is that fancy verse here? He gets into the righteousness. He gets into the confess. Oh, you know. Is it all down? Is it down here? Oh, by the way, just so you know, I, um, I've um i been working on the mixtape continuously. I, I'm i going to Besarad Hashem after the three weeks, be able to release it. Because, you know, the three weeks we won't be listening to music anyway, unless it's Shabbat. But it be just kind of weird, so got to get all that recorded and everything. But I've been working on this uh, one particular section. It says... Yeshua be the goal and end game for the Torah. That's why we seek him in it like we dobra the explorer. So anyway, just want to throw that out there. But I'm looking for this line. Ah, it's verse it's chapter eleven. It's chapter eleven. The Agarat Rome chapter eleven uh is the epitome of what we were talking about from the Matthew twenty passage. He says I ask this verse one. Did God reject his people? Certainly not. I am an Israelite myself, a descendant of Abraham from the tribe of Benjamin. So that's pretty righteous because, you know, Benjamin is from the tribe of Rachel Benjamin, first king of Israel, you know, kind of like kind of a big deal there. <clears throat> you know, Yosef's little brother kind of thing. Mashiach being Yosef strand says God did not reject his people whom he foreknew, do you not know what scripture says about Eliyahu, how he appealed to God against Israel? When he said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I am the only one left and they are seeking my life as well. And what was the divine reply to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal." So, continues to go on says in the same way at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace and if it is by grace then it is no longer by works otherwise grace would no longer be grace what then what israel was seeking it failed to obtain but the elected the others were hardened as it is written God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that could not see, and ears that could not hear to this very day. Okay, so that's completely not the chapter. Ah, okay. This is literally it now. Third time's a charm, right? Like the three times that Balaam Bala- tried to uh, curse us in this pasha, and every single time it's turned into a blessing. All right, so the third time was the motto Vu. Baruch Hashem. so third time trying to source this out. Here we go. It says, but it was a lot of good stuff along the way, though, right, okay, it's I mean beneficial, good stuff. We're talking about not lording over people and giving our life as a ransom, serving people, um being in community, having all sorts of atonement happen in our life, uh being decent people. And our mannerism and demeanor. I mean, I think that's pretty righteous. I mean, it's like holy, holy, holy. Anyway, uh, chapter nine of the Agarit to Rome. This is really it. I promise you, I'm done this time. Okay, I speak the truth of Mashiach. I am not lying. As confirmed by my conscious conscience and the Ruach Hakodesh, I have deep sorrow and. Unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Mashiach for the sake of my brothers, my own flesh and blood, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons, theirs the divine glory and covenants, multiples, lots of covenants. Theirs the giving of the Torah. The temple worship, the promises, theirs are the patriarchs and from them proceeds the human descent of Mashiach, who is God over all, forever worthy of praise Amen. There it is. He says I wish that I myself were cursed and cut off. I mean that's that's pretty intense. You know, for the sake of other people being grafted in he's like i'm willing to cut myself off that's some moshe level stuff like moshe said blot my name out erase me from your torah that these people would be forgiven it's just kind of like wow because if you didn't remember uh when have the people ever been for moshe really i mean like through thick and thin for the, for him. I mean, after the Yom Suf, it was kind of like, Oh yeah, we believe in the Moshe and Hashem and you know, all sorts of stuff like that. When, when amazing things happen, we're like, okay, cool. We're good. Or after the unfortunate, uh, correction event, the correction, the Korah event and the staff budding and all that kind of stuff. They were like, okay, okay, okay. We will leave. All right, cool. But let us get hungry real quick or thirsty. It's like, no, nope, no, nope, we don't. But what does Moshe do? He disregards all of that and says, "Block me out. Shaul, if you hadn't read Acts, you should probably read it. Because homeboy, homeboy got beat nearly within an inch of his life. Still went back and kept proselytizing. And so... If you really kind of look at this ideal of people you lay your life down for and people who you, uh, you know, become the least of these two, they're typically people who are not pro you. You know, these are people who get on your nerves. These are people you like, you literally want to choke them out, even though that's a sign of a wicked person when you. Say you want to do something and you don't do it because it's kind of like, well, if I got the chance, I would. It's kind of like that's a sign of wickedness. But, yeah, that kind of stuff, people who provoke you to be like a wicked person, that kind of person or those kind of people or that kind of group. That's the one you go. You know what? No, for them. I lay my life down for them. You know, I give my life as a ransom for many. I'd serve them. You know, that's how it needs to go. Heavy conviction just came down on me for that (laughs) because I'm just like, Oh gosh, man. But yeah, you talk about being like dust and ash before all man, you know, that that'll do it. That'll do it because the dust and the ash of the earth doesn't have uh, a say so whether or not we get to walk on it or not. It's just like, yeah, we drive, we walk on it, you know, all sorts of stuff. Now, as one of the sources brought down a couple of Torah portions ago, I think it was not so because it was talking about the dust and how we use it for Mitzvah. Well, the thing we have to remember that, yeah, we're above the dust now, but one day it'll be above us. And that should cause a lot of sobriety because that means we're not as high and mighty as we think we are. That means we're not as divine as we think we are. Cause sometimes we think we're divine. Like, people need to drink juice from me because we are so divine okay that was terrible do it for the vine no i ain't gonna do it okay anyway so yeah we just need to remember we're not all that in a bag of chips we are what the bag of chips is made from which is elements of the earth and the more we can nullify ourselves to that will be awesome i posted this on Miwi and um you know it's just kind of a good thing to go back to cause Rabbi Tonka truck Shlita was just on a rampage driving over everybody and I'm like bro calm down like all the way down but he wouldn't and so I had to watch but this is what he says I was just like dude you are cray cray Hmm. It is somewhere over here. It's commentary on Parsha Balak, and there it is. So, oh, Parsha Hukat Slika. So he's talking about you know the red heifer and all that kind of stuff, and that. He, he this this opening line. I'm gonna just read that, and then I'm gonna jump to my point because we're talking about batul and becoming like dust and all that, right? So it says just as a vaccination or homeopathic remedy injects a weakened form of the very disease or a similar one that we want to be protected from, experiencing our own deaths is actually a very effective method of inoculating ourselves against the fear of death that's deep so i'm gonna say it again so experiencing our own deaths is actually a very effective method of inoculating ourselves against the fear of death so how can we die right now you know because Mashiach tells us this, you know, you got to lose your life to find it. If any man comes out to me, he to deny himself, lose your life for my sake. All those different passages, right? So here it is. Here's one way you can do it. Parenthetically, again, this is still Rabbi Tonka Truck, which is Rabbi Trugman, by the way. If you don't have Orchard of Delights, uh, may Hashem help you get it. The general importance of self nullification in obtaining Torah knowledge is emphasized by the following mathematical term, Jim. Okay, so we're going to use math to talk about the importance of nullifying yourself, which is like killing yourself, which is going to actually inoculate you against fear of death. Okay, you ready for this? For those of you who have already read this, shh, everybody else has to hear it. So, I'm just kidding. All right, anyway, trying to be a little dramatic. Got to have a little drama. Says, the numerical value of the Hebrew word for Torah, that's Tav, Vav, Resh. Hey, guess what? At a pay, it becomes the word for medicine. What is the letter pay? Pay is the mouth. So if you're speaking Torah, you're speaking. You're literally like medicine. That's what the world needs: a lot of medicine. But anyway, take the payback out. Stick to the tav, vav, resh. Hey, Torah, that gematria value of those letters—four letters, letters six hundred and eleven. Now, when multiplying thirteen. Why are we going to use 13? 13 is the gematria for Ahava. It's also, as Rabbi Tonka Truck says here, the word for one, Echad. You know, the way that you unify with other people. Okay? It says, so multiply that gematria, which is 13, by 47. Now, why are we doing 47? Well, 47 is the gematria of the word for betul. So you're going to take the word for ahava or the word for echad, which is the same numerically. Sleekah, which is the word love. So you have love and oneness. Okay, both equal 13. So pick one of those times that by the word for betul, which means you need to multiply Nullification in your love and in your oneness. And then it says, and this equals 611. So when you look at the Torah, the Torah is literally nullification of self, killing your ego, killing your own uh, arrogance and like loftiness for the sake of of those who are in covenant for the sake of those who are in the world, you know, the same way Mashiach did when he was hanging on the stake, you know, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do, type stuff. Or uh Moshe speaking to Aharon, uh please go get the Katoric, because everybody's dying right now. I know the people who are dying right now are the very ones who are rebelling against us and saying we're not sent from God and the Torah's MSU. Uh they sided with Korah. You know, but that was yesterday. Today they have a a new chance. You know, they have a do-over. And they they chose not to do over. I know. But we need to get the incense. Let's just go help them. That kind of stuff. That is Torah. So, with that being said, let's go into the mnemonic of the Parsha. Because I've been so... um, I don't know, just blessed, gifted, happy, grateful to Hashem, all of the above, to get this book. This is a videos that I used to watch in previous years from Rabbi Aharon Raskin Shlita, who um, I, I don't think I had a nickname for him, but uh, Sir Drop-A-Lot, that's what I'm going to call him now. But uh, I used to watch his, his mnemonic videos, and it's just like, what are mnemonics? What is that? It's M-N-E-M-O-N-I-C-S. I'm like, mnemonics? I live in a sea of You know, I felt like a Nemo moment. You know, I'm like, the Nemo's on the par What's Nemo talking about? What he lost in now? But anyway, to be serious though, mnemonics is... Sorry, Siri was... Uh, getting all turned up because I said serious. Okay, cool. It didn't work that time. All right. So it says mnemonics as a way to remember. It's a remembering tool. Mnemonics have always been used in Judaism as a tool to remember numbers and laws. The proof is found in the Hagada for Pesach when Rabbi Yehuda gave a mnemonic to remember the order of the ten plagues. Remember the those uh ten letters that were strung together to make a phrase that's called a mnemonic generally a name found in the book of the prophets or a word found in the parsha so when you come across mnemonics, like if I say Daniel, you should automatically think parsha korak ask me how I know well other than it being in the book uh there are ninety five verses. And Parashakorak, which is the same gematria as Daniel. Let's see, I'm going back to it because I marked it. Yeah. There you go. So, if you think about Daniel, you can remember Parashakorak. So, what, what about for Balak, though? Because what we own right now. Well, guess what? There are 104 Pesukim which is the word for verses, and shabalak. What does that mean? Well, the mnemonic is manoak. Now, this is interesting because there's 104 verses and the mnemonic only equals 87. So, we gonna get into why he did that. So I was going to say, the prophecy of Balak is famous for the prophecies it contains, spoken by the non-Jewish prophet Bilam, the Goy, the non-Jew, the one outside of Torah. That guy. Think it's very, very important to just stop for a second and critical thinking cap on. We have a non-Jew prophet. Many people in the world who say that they're prophets, they're usually not Jewish. Because Jewish people understand we don't have to prophesy because we have the prophets. We have the Torah. We have Ruach HaKodesh. Many people who prophesy in the world today, they don't think about any of that. They just think about what's on their heart and just add oh, well, God told me, God showed me. Typically, when God tells you and when God shows you something, it's usually based off of what's in the Torah already. That's why when you look at the Haftorah portion, it typically connects, like super connects to the Torah portions. But I digress. If one of these Bilam or in one of these Bilam proclaims a star will shoot forth from Yaakov. There will arise a leader from among Israel. This refers to two Mashiachs to King David and to Mashiach, our righteous redeemer descended from the house of King David, who will lead us out of this final exile. Okay. So yeah, we just got the King of Israel and his son prophesied by Bilam. Goes on to say, the Rambam cites Bilam's prophecy and his laws of kings as the Torah's definitive prediction of Mashiach's arrival. So if you really want to look at calculating the arrival of the Mashiach, then you have to be in Parshat Balak. But then if you read Parshat Balak, you don't really see any calculation. because He says, I see it kind of but not near like it's 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 somewhere off out there, which just goes to show it's it's not only did he prophesy it's going to be a sure thing, but he just says, well, I mean, we can't really perceive when it's going to be. So if you really want to properly and correctly and most accurately calculate the arrival of Mashiach, the the most accurate way, 100 percent is to say. Hmm, I don't know. But he show is going to be here. And like I've always been saying, if you do every single prayer time, if you study your Torah portions, you will be ready when Mashiach comes. Because living in observance is preparing for the arrival of Mashiach. Actually, it's hastening the arrival of Mashiach And allowing other people the opportunity to be prepared for Mashiach. Because sometimes we pray so much about Mashiach that we forget to get the world ready. The world needs to understand Kashrut, that that's totally a thing. That Hebrew is totally a language that's still alive. That the Bible is not a book. It's the mind of Hashem written down. No, matter of fact, it's Hashem written down. And people need to understand the way that the Bible is structured because most people don't know that the Tanakh is scripture and the Brit Tadashah, which really is a mix of the gospels, acts, letters, and revelation. People need to understand how that's all worked out. So yeah, like these kinds of things need to be shown, taught you know shared you know we we have the ability to look up any piece of information at any moment at any time and it's typically used to do propaganda videos to watch cat videos to watch all sorts of challenges that people are starting to come up with or that they have come up with you know watching a lot of nonsense but never really using it for you know deep stuff like you could totally fill your social media page up with how to do root, you know that your dishes should be toveled you know uh i have unkosher food in my pantry i just learned about kosher 5 hot minutes ago so what do i do you know maybe root's not your thing maybe it's zanut you know dressing modestly maybe it's praying maybe it's uh you know brockas you know maybe it's shopping for kosher food i don't know but you can fill your social media up with it. you literally have the ability whether you do an audio a picture whether you do text you know like you have all sorts of avenues people are doing vi- or not vines they're doing tiktoks you know these little short videos of like little skits or whatever. Well, let's get a TikTok of to Let's get a TikTok of uh, donning to leap. Let's get a TikTok of blessing your wife. Let's get a TikTok of uh, candle lighting. Get a TikTok of, a, a a TikTok. Get a TikTok because your breath is bad. You know, I don't know. You know, but yeah, get a TikTok, man. Do some do some stuff. OK, maybe you don't need a TikTok, but short videos. There's all sorts of ways to go about this. OK, and last time I checked, we had a bunch of Avengers. So if we're all avenging, you know, we may not redeem the world, but we did avenge it. So Beruch Hashem. Anyway, what does Rabbi Ross go on to say? The Rambam cites Bilam's prophecy in his Laws of Kings as the Torah's definitive prediction of Mashiach's ultimate arrival. The Yerushalaymi Talmud also comments on this prophecy, affirming that it alludes to the final Mashiach. In different Talmudic passages, however, the, this prophecy is interpreted to allude to each and every Jew. The Moray Anaim, yep, because that's the source, teacher of the eyes resolves this seeming contradiction by explaining that within every single Jew is a spark of Mashiach at the fifth level of soul, which is called Yehida. Yehida, which sounds a lot like Akhida, right? So the word Yehida is like unique, only begotten, like what Yitak was called being taken to the Akhida, and the famous John three sixteen for God to love the world that He gave His only Yekida. Okay, so we all have that level of soul, which apparently we not not all of us merit to reach that because it depends on how what we've done with our six days of the week. Because when we get to the Shabbat, we get an extra soul, which really is just an expanded soul of who we are, like a supercharge or boost, if you will. And we can apparently reach Yechida on Shabbat, which is the whole thing, the common um, talk out there that if all Jews kept the Shabbat two times in a row, Mashiach would be here. Because it's like, yeah, because everybody would get to Yechida and we'd manifest that spark of Mashiach like completely. But anyway, so there are some things that we can do to prepare for the Shabbat so that we actually reach the level of Yechida on Shabbat. But it takes intention, you know, which is the coolest thing. That's our biggest superpower, by the way, is intention. If we intend to do something, no matter how well or how not well we do, we'll reach it. We'll hit it every time because your intention is what will pull you. This is what the Rambat Shlita brought down in the Musar class last week. And yes, I'm talking about Batya. You know, she brought this down. She's our Wonder Woman Avenger. She was saying that, you know, even if you're not feeling up to doing the mitzvah, you feel a little tired. You feel like, oh, I don't I don't have my enthusiasm on point right now. It's like. Do it as if you did, like I am enthusiastic about this. And so you start praying, you know, you're like, okay, so am I faking it? No, you're you're intending to be enthusiastic about doing the mitzvah. So therefore, as you begin to do it, guess what? You'll become enthusiastic about it hundred percent, or as we now, as I now say anyway, a million percent, it will happen because that's the power of our intentions. It literally has the ability to pull us up. So why is the mnemonic Manoak? Because Manoak has nothing to do with 104 to my knowledge right now, but I'm reading. It says Manoak is the father of Shemshon. That's Samson. The commentaries explain that he merited to father such an illustrious son because he overcame his temptation for idolatry. This contrasts our parsha when the Israelites sinned with Baal Peor, and Bamibar twenty-five two through three. So we're getting ready to go right into Parsha Pincus. but Pincus does his thing at the end of this parsha. So, I mean, this Parsha totally is just like, it's blow up. It's like the biggest Parsha ever. But anyway, Pink is, by the way, good thing Korok wasn't around for that because here it would have been another person who's not a part of the Kahuna now gets grafted in. And it's just kind of like, what am I, Chop liver? As Korok would probably say, if not do more drastic things. Because Pink is, was certainly not going to be a Cohen. He ended up being a Cohen forever, so much so that commentaries even say he's Eliyahu. But I don't want to source that out because that's not where I'm going. But just know that if we need to source it out, we can. But I don't see it pertaining to this. I just want to give us a little heads up that, hey, uh, the person who rebelled and said, hey, we need to be a part of Kahuna and got swallowed by the earth. Well, this other person who totally didn't ask for it uh, totally got elevated to the kahuna because he was like, I am done with idolatry. I will not be tempted, and I will not have this go on in my house. Hashem's like, oh, you're a Kohen Gadol type person. Hey, uh, Pincus, Mbobavakasha, I anoint you with the Kohen Hagadolhood. hood Covenant of Shalom, Broken Vav, boom. And it's just like, okay, didn't ask for this, but Todah Rabbah, you know, that kind of stuff. So Manoak apparently did the same thing, like overcoming the temptation to be idolatrous. You know, the sages say that back during temple times, that idolatry was on such a level. It was so powerful that today, the only way we could really register it is look at the sexual immorality that goes on in the world today. The way we're so drawn after sexual immorality is the way that we were drawn after idolatry during temple times. So just to kind of give you a little frame of reference, because sometimes I'm like, Oh, idolatry, smidolatry. But it's like sexual temptation. Oh, because shampoo commercials, people dressing naked to leave their houses. Well, I guess not anymore because we're having to cover up. At least we have to wear a mask. I don't know about the rest of the body, but I don't know. I don't pay attention to that stuff anyway. Um, Baruch Hashem for face mask, I guess. Um, to uh, in in the context of Shomer Man face mask, because you know I get to put my little helmet down and I can just see my little course that i need to go to tunnel vision if you will obviously stay aware of your surroundings just felt like i needed to say that because sometimes it's like oh you tunnel vision you don't pay attention to what's going on around you yes i do anyway chatting with shomer man that's totally happening right now (laughs) can you just read the book yes i can it says manoak belonged to the tribe of dan shouts out to the danites It says, which was notorious, shall I say it again, notorious for its idol worship. Now, you mean to tell me a member of the tribe notorious for idol worship was like, I'm overcoming this. I don't know what's wrong with y'all. So, so much for product of your environment, which I think is like the biggest understatement of today because... Many times you think, oh, I've been conditioned this way. Everybody else around me does it, so I'm going to do it too. It's like, uh, Manoach, uh, Pincus. You realize Pincus was the only one who was able to step up and do what he did? Like, even Moshe's hands were tied. Which is crazy. The man who walked into Shemaim three times. Well, actually four. Because of the burning bush. That was another time. But anyway, uh, sourced that out a while back. But just know that, believe that, and trust that. Burning bush, he went straight into Shemaim. But yeah, uh, Zimri and Cosby doing their thing. Moshe's like, Psh, uh, yeah, you got me on this one. Pinkus is like, uh, not in my house. I got you, uncle. And boom, handles that business. Because that's what nephews do, handle business. Okay, so Manoak, however, was a Zadik equal to, get this, all the Zadikim of his generation combined. So we're talking a Zadik of Zadikim. Overcoming what his tribe is notorious for doing. Okay, that's a whole lot right there. Just say a for just a minute just a minute hi Mr. Manoak what tribe are you from probably the tribe of Dan oh the tribe of idol worshippers yeah, yeah yeah I know but I don't do that okay so I see here that you're a zodic and we have about 1100000 zodics but apparently they don't all compare to you uh Manoak's answer is may my soul be like dust to everyone Baruch Hashem and it's like okay So I'm looking at the rest of your resume here. It says you managed to put your Yetzahara to rest like uh, Sarah Imenu from Parashahaya Sarah Insights from the Orhachim. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That seems true. Okay, so I was being very dramatic, but that literally is on this page. It says that he managed to put his Yetzahara to rest. I mean, what? I'm going to throw stuff right now. Not because I'm angry and not because I'm evil, but because I don't know what to do with my hands. Okay, you're not Italian, Matt. You don't need your hands to talk. That's a shout out to my wife. (laughs) Okay. Anyway, as a reward for this, he was granted the power of prophecy. Oh, okay. So now power of prophecy. Here we go and okay this is becoming like the uh what is that and then and then like a Campbell soup commercial or something or like like I like to say from the hood like the Wayne's brother but wait there's more anyway and he merit had the merit to father Shimshon who began to bring salvation for the Jewish people so Shimshon is likened to Mashiach Yeshua who begins the process and guess what the process of Shemshon culminates in King David yes he did girl yes he did he show said that the salvation sunrise literally Shemshon is connected to sunrise because Shemshon comes from word Shemesh which means sun so Mr. Sunshine over here began what King David culminated And then you have Mashiach Yeshua who comes from the lineage of King David and he begins what Mashiach Ben David will culminate, which is redemption from our current exile. So I just think that's just absolutely wonderful information. But going on, it says, this is the connection of Manoak to Parshabalak. Thank you, Rabbi Raskeem, for clearing it up, because I was like 87 and 104. There's kind of a dissonance there. How does this relate? He says, the connection is Manoak to Parshabalak, Manoak, Father, the Savior, or better yet, Mashiach. Yes, Benoach was the father of the Savior, a.k.a. Mashiach. He just wrote that in his page. How did he get away with that? I have no idea, but he did. So everyone, let's call the police. It says, Yaakov, our patriarch, saw him and thought he was Mashiach. Bereshit Rabbah 9814. And if that's not enough for you source people... Zohar Balak 194, page A and B. Okay, so that's just ridiculous. Shemshon was seen as Mashiach. So how much more so should Mashiach Yeshua be seen as Mashiach because he began the final redemption that will culminate Mashiach ben David may he return now going on trying to go on (laughs) he was the Mashiach of his generation Balak speaks of the ultimate savior Mashiach we in our generation can access the power of Mashiach within ourselves by following Manoak's example overcoming temptation, you know, like be fearful. The world's going to get him in a basket. Okay. Listen, the world opened up once. Obviously it can do it again, but that was specifically for Korak and his rebellion. There are people in the world today that are ready to be observant, ready to be converted. We just need to go find them. That's what we're actually waiting on. People are so focused on making Aliyah and trying to build a temple that they're forgetting about the, literal living stones of the temple that need to get built up so can we just take a minute and focus on that i mean can we just have a can we just have a minute i mean a minute can we okay anyway overcoming temptation those things that pull us away from god torah and mitzvot now this says mashiach is not just for the jews why okay so just to tie a nice bow on this there are 104 verses in Parsha balak and we need to think about manoak whose gematria is 87 but don't let that throw you off just as a grin what is the difference between a hundred and four 104, you know what I'm doing. 104 minus 87. Oh, of course. Of course. 17, which is the gematria of Tov. It's also the small gematria of Yeshua, because Yeshua is 386. We should probably do good to lock that in our memories, that the gematria of Yeshua is 386. 3 plus 8 plus 6 is 17. So, yeah. Tov, which is what the Torah is called. It's called a good teaching, but the name of Hashem is also called Tov. So we know the Torah is Hashem written down. We know that the Torah became flesh and that's Yeshua. So Tov, Yeshua, Torah, teaching of Torah, the name of Hashem. Okay, that's connected to Parsha Balak because the 104 verses deduct Manoak from it. And what are you left with? Tov. So if your takeaway from Parashah Balak is to be like Manoak, then that's Tov. That's good. Okay. So page 39. Why is it the prophecy of Bilaam, a non-Jew, that Rambam cites as biblical proof of Mashiach? Rambam, what are you doing? Why are we looking at Bilam to learn about Mashiach? Bilam. I mean the man's name means to swallow up like mouth that swallows. And then you got Balak, which means destroy and the destroyer hired the swallower. Anyway. So why are we looking here? It says there are scores of Jewish prophets whose prophecies are replete. I said replete with promises of Mashiach's coming. Mashiach is the redeemer of the entire world. Not just to the Jewish people. Mashiach is the redeemer of the entire world. Not just the Jewish people. Mashiach will bring the light of God to every human being. He will bring. He will bring. He will bring the light of God. What is the light of God? Oh yeah, I'm so glad you asked. The Torah. Mitzvot. He's going to bring that to every human being. Well, there goes the, uh, the whole faith and religion system. Cause apparently that's not what it is. It's about Hashem bringing light to all mankind, which is far beyond saying, Oh, did you go to church today? Or, Oh man, are you, uh, are you this religion? Are you this faith? Are you this denomination? Are you this sect? Because you realize converting to Judaism is not bringing you into a religion, right? Like, I hope you know that because, it's repurposing your life. Like when you get, you know, uh, new dishes and you you bring them into service for your use. That's what becoming a Jew is. It's like you are living your life however you're living it. But when you go through the conversion process, it's like now I live and exist and breathe to bring redemption into the world, to bring light into the world, to actualize the spark of Mashiach in the world. So that's important. And, you know, it's far beyond just saying we go to synagogue and we study Torah and we pray like it's it's an essence of who we are. Because what about the days you don't get to study? What about the days you don't get to pray? Chaspe Shalom, because you can really pray anytime. But, you know, sometimes you may go and you're like, oh, man, I I, I missed the Aliyah day or I didn't get to pick up my Tanakh or Humash today, you know. It's like, what are you going to do then? Are you not Jewish anymore? Of course not. So anyway, it's beyond religion. But it is religious because, you know, morning routines are religious. Your commute to work is religious. Your clocking in and clocking out at work is religious. You know, we just need to understand what the word religion is. Going on, it says, Mashiach is the Redeemer... Of the entire world. Not just the Jewish people. Mashiach will bring the light of God. To every human being. And in order for nations of the world. To believe this. The message had to come from. One of their own. Wow. So there's that. Balaam had to tell the world. About Mashiach. So that the world could know. About Mashiach. Because it was from their own source. They can't just go, oh, those crazy Jews telling us to believe in Mashiach, telling us that there's a Mashiach. It's like, no. You're going to have a non-Jew who doesn't follow Torah tell you about the Torah and tell you about the oral Torah because you realize the only way you can talk about Mashiach is to have acknowledgement of the oratory and its validity because if you don't have the Oral Torah, you don't have any mashiach because how do you explain a moabite joining the congregation of israel when we just learned the moabite can't enter the congregation it's like ah but the oral Torah tells us the moabitess can so that's important value of a pasuk this is another source Shouts out to Pela, Ish Pela Shlita, who hooked me up with this. And I know Hashem spoke to him to do that. So, yes, Pela, I'm grateful that you are obedient and you listen to our father in Shemaim, And blessed be the name of Hashem for his kindness in showing this to you and allowing you to give it to me. So, thank you, Hashem. For you, for your children, mm, it's awesome. Okay, so this is going to be kind of weird, okay, because we're going to talk about Hashem making Teshuvah, because it's kind of, it's kind of awkward concept, but I'm going to pull up this verse real quick, because we're going to need to dig in this a little bit, <clears throat> so we're going to stand by on, what is this, Exodus thirty two fourteen. Don't lose my place there, though. Okay. Cue the... Yo, DJ, cue that verse. All right. Uh, 32, 14. All right. We're going to do some occurrences first, and then we're going to... Then we're going to get into it. Best right All right. So let's start... This is going to be a little crazy. I know we're a long way into the podcast, but, uh, you know, such as Marathon Shomer, man, <laughs> I ain't on the alley all day this week, so we gonna get it in. Okay. Anyway, in this Sidra, which by the way, is another way to say Parsha. So if you want to say Sidra, or sometimes you may see it spelled Sedra, either way, it's Sidra, which comes from the word Seder or sidur which is the word for order. So this is why our Siddur is called the order of prayer, the prayer services. Anyway, in this order, in this Torah portion, Bilaam denies the anthropomorphism of God. It's like, don't try to give human attributes to Hashem. Bilaam is like, nope, we don't do that. It's interesting because it says Bami Bar 2319, which that whole verse equals 2179. That's right, that's a big number. 2 plus 1, 3 plus 7 is 10, plus 9 is 19. So we're looking at 19. Quick Gematria is on 19, shall we? What do we got, prep day? Can we talk about the Gematria? I reorganized my phone here. So hopefully I can uh, navigate better. All right. You know, sometimes you just download all these apps and then you got apps everywhere. You're like, I know I got this app, but I got to find it. Yeah, not for me. I ain't got time for it. So I decided to take... Matters into my own hand, okay. Oyev, the word enemy, uh, big day, the word garments, Boteak, the word trust, goy, the word nation, hadod, the beloved, hazahav, the gold, hayad, the hand, and uh, yeah, so let's go with Boteak. botayak, because. This is... uh, This is a good word. Boteak is a good word. Let me go to... uh, The Targum here. Boteak. Metet. Cool thing about... You know... Studying is you just... You take your time... Go through your sources... Get everything lined out. You know, don't be in a rush to to study and and get so fast and be like, oh, got it, done. What's next? Because you you miss out. Uh, And it's interesting because we're going to be talking about the word 42, Bezrat Hashem, in a little bit. And it's all about the journey. So, Boteach, it says, to be at ease and without trouble, whence to trust. Also, the word for assured um what is that song is that is that a song i believe it is oh my gosh we're about to sing a hymn y'all ready no you're not ready i know we got to get this in before the three weeks blessed assurance yeshua is mine Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Boteach Hamashiach Okay, anyway. That's kind of what it would sound like if you flipped it and reversed it. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, y'all. Blessed assurance is a thing. I That was one of my favorite hymns when I was back in the church. Okay, anyway. So this verse, though, says God is not a man and he palters or son of man and he repents. Has he said and did not do and has he spoken and did not execute? Now, I'm going to read this from the Humash because the Humash in context is where we need to go. But just know that's the verse we're going to focus on from the value of a pasuk. It says, So uh, Bilam came to Balak, right? So he says he came to him and behold, he was standing with his burnt offering and the officers of Moab were with him. Balak said to him, well, what did Hashem speak? Here's our verse. He declaimed his parable and said, stand erect, O Balak, and hear. give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should be deceitful nor a son of man that he should relent what he say and not do or sleek. Would he say and not do or speak and not confirm behold to bless? I have received. He has blessed and I shall not contradict it. And it continues to go on. But I love this because they're trying to curse who Hashem said is blessed. And the verse here is talking about Hashem is not going to go back on that. Which just goes to show the blessing and cursing Torah of the portion. is not Hashem, not something Hashem does, but it's something that we bring on ourselves. Which is the point of owning up to the things that we fall short in. You know, lots of craziness, chaos and pandemonium is going on in the world. And not a lot of people are taking onus. It's blame shifting. Why are we still doing that? That's how we got kicked out of the garden. Did you know that if we owned up to our sin in the garden, we would have never got kicked out? That's just kind of one of those. Wow. Moments where you just want to sit in a corner and just be like, I don't know. You just, man, take ownership. Own up. We have to. We have to know the reason why there's chaos in the world is because we, yes, us, Jews, Avengers, Lapid Legion, Sarshalomis, you know, everybody, we ain't teaching Torah. We ain't leading out in Torah. And it's not the mainstream thing today. Unashamedly eating kosher and celebrating Yom Tov, dressing Zanute, you know, sharing the parsha with people, posting stuff on our social media. You know, we got to be unashamed about that and be upfront about it. And when we're wrong, we're wrong. Okay? And when we're right, that's tight. But anyway, just, just saying... We got to push this out into the world. We got to speak it. The power is in our mouth. We've been talking about this since Pesach, you know, Pesach, the mouth speaks, you know, the birth of the nation of Israel is about the mouth speaking. Most times we fill our mouth with words of Lashon Hara. That's got to stop something that's true about somebody. That's not our business. But what our business is, is speaking truth as far as the Torah goes, speaking light and positivity of other people, because we'll bring out good meat out from other people if we speak it out about them. You know, there's one guy at work, I sing the, uh, in the circle of life. And this guy, boy, you would think I'm preaching a sermon. He gets up. He's ready to just pass the plate, you know, like he just, oh, yes. Like, just breaking out. Just like, that's my song. That's my jam. You don't even know. symbol me and him go back like uh, hubcaps and kneecaps. Like, what? You know, I don't even know what that means. So don't even, I don't know. I'm just talking. But anyway, like he just like, mm. but um, I'm shouting him out right now because I call him Dr. J. So, Dr. J Slita. Uh And yes, do confuse him with the basketball player, Dr. J. Because Dr. J went hard in the paint, pun intended. But anyway, so Dr. J, my co-worker here, I told him, you know, one day I just, I just got so filled up by his inspirational talks. He talked about being a good dad. He talked about being a family man, you know, being a hard worker you know, living life, being grateful, working out, you know, like all sorts of stuff where you're just kind of like, who are you Mr. Perfect or something? Get out of here. You know, but anyway, um, but I was just like, you know what, Jay, you, man, you like really inspire me. You bring a lot of light into this warehouse, you know, background in, in our warehouse where we work. There's a lot of negativity. There used to be sleek. Cause I ain't speaking negativity. I'm speaking there's positivity up in their warehouse. Mm-hmm, I tell you what, anyway, but he's a bright spot there. And I I love it. And I'm just, I'm thankful to Hashem. And I'm like, I got to tell this guy, I got to tell this guy, I really appreciate everything he brings, everything he speaks, you know, my conversations with him. Like, so I just told him, I just let him have it. I was just like, dude, blah, 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 blah. Like I just went there and he was just like, wow. Wow, man. Like what, you know, and as guys, we're not allowed to get emotional, apparently, I don't know what handbook that's in, but, you know, that's totally a thing, so it's kind of like, yeah, 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 so, uh, yeah, you know, just working out and everything, and then, you know, martial art movies, you know, yeah, and Avengers blowing up stuff, you know, yeah, you know, and just kind of brush it off like that, but anyway, but we, we had our moment, and the cool thing about that is every human being on the face of the earth is, capable of that moment and we have to realize unleashing that between ourselves and to other people because we just re- we just read mashiach is not just for the jews mashiach if you rearrange it is is, simka, is joy the world needs joy literally joy to the world not in the connotation that we com- commonly know that song from but in the context of every day you need joy every single day, and these things have to be dug out like wells, you know, like the way Abraham and Yitok dug wells. We got to do that, dig it out of ourselves sometimes, because sometimes we're just like, Psh, joy. Psh, I don't got it today. I just I'm, I want to go back to sleep. Can I can I just get a do later as opposed to a do over? <laughs> anyway. So with that all being said now with our verse, Yalkut Shimoni is gonna take it a whole different route. So Yakut Shimoni says it's a declarative statement. The Pasuk is asserting that God rescinds the maleficence he planned to do to his people. Wow. Hashem actually does what this verse says, you know? So if we look at it as a declarative statement, it would go a little something like this. God is not a man that he should be deceitful. He's not going to play around says nor son of man that he should relent. He's not going to just, you know, pull back on things would he say and not do or speak and not confirm Hashem is totally like yeah uh you deserve to get destroyed right now I'm 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 gonna do it but here's the thing he can rescind it you know just like us we can be like boy I'm just gonna come at you like a spider monkey right now like and you're like that's a sign of a wicked person and you're like are you Never mind. Take back my words. But why do we take back our words? Something changes, right? It's not we that change because we we want to, you know, handle that business. And the thing is, when we do what Hashem says, will bring destruction and chaos into the world. I mean, yeah, it happens. But there's this thing called Teshuva. Do you know Teshuvah was one of the many creations before the world existed? You know, along with the name of Mashiach, Gehenna, you know, the Torah, things like that. Those those all came into being before, you know, creation existed. So with Teshuvah, you're going to reach outside of time. Space, all of the dimensions, and be like, let's start from here, and now let's go back to where we were. You talk about time traveling, you talk about teleporting, like Teshuva is that it's kind of like there was this moment where everything was going to be all bad, and it's like, well, because of Teshuva, we're going to be in that moment, and everything's going to be all good. And it's like, wait, is there a glitch in the matrix? No. Teshuva just happened. This is why the whole born again concept is so beautiful. The do over concept is so beautiful because that's the power of teshuva. It it essentially overrides time. If you will, it takes a moment that it currently exists and turns it into a brand new moment that never existed before. It's as if the bad stuff was not even there. It's just kind of like, I really don't even know how to explain it because it's, it's kind of a uh, mind boggling, but that's what the Yalkut is, re- is alluding to that. There's a rescinding of the maleficence. the Yalkut writes, he said, and he did not do when he said to bring upon them calamities, they repented and he canceled them. You find it written, he who sacrifices to other gods will be destroyed. Well, guess what? We made a golden calf. Were they not worthy of destruction? Yep, sure was. But guess what? He didn't. He thought to curse them and to make them disappear. As soon as they repented, he canceled the decree. As it says, and God regretted. This takes us to our Shemot verse, right? So it says the other verse in the Torah with the gematria of 2,179 is Shemot 3214. Now, when we look at that verse. All right. Hang on here. I'm going back a second. Pulling up my uh, concordance. I got a whole bunch of stuff like tabbed and ready to go. So I was like, make sure I don't lose those places. (laughs) All right. So when we look at this verse, it says, and God repented about the bad, which he spoke to do to his people. Obviously this is Parshaki Tisa. This is golden math or (laughs) this is golden math. This is golden calf (laughs) aftermath. That uh, kind of sounds like a line. Golden calf aftermath. You need to hit the mikvah bath. I don't know. It was terrible. Something like that, though. It's how all good songs start. Start with terrible rhymes, and then they all all of a sudden get better. So the word Nacham, which, by the way, is the root of Manachem, which is the original name of par, of Noach. If you read the Midrash says, Parsha Noach, it talks about the name of Noah. And how he was named Noah because Menachem was his original name. You know what? I can read it for you because I actually have that open. Yeah, here we go. Here we go. So, one of the one of the names of Mashiach, by the way, is Menachem. Which is interesting because... That means Mashiach is intricately, yes, I did say intricately, connected to teshuva. The very root of Menachem means repentance. I'm shaking my head, but I'm looking for this page about Noah's name. I don't know what to say anymore. I don't know what to say anymore seriously though that just happened the root of mashiach one of mashiach's name literally the mem in the name mashiach stands for Menachem, which can be me nacham which means from repentance Is That what okay gotta find this verse okay here we go here we go oh this is cool I gotta read this real quick page 78 Midrash says Bereshit, or bereshis to be Ashkenazi for a second Noach took upon himself to sustain all his forebears who were alive Noah was born circumcised. He brought relief and comfort to the world, which, by the way, Nahum means to comfort, another root of Menachem. So Messiah is a comforter, just like Noah was. Uh, he brought comfort to the world, and Hashem had prophesied to Adam with the birth of a circumcised boy, the curse imposed upon the earth after your sin will be lifted. The curse of sin lifted through the one who is called the comforter of the world who was born circumcised. So, circumcision is intricately connected to what lifting the sin of Adam. Wow, Adam was uncircumcised after the sin. He needed to be circumcised. So now Menachem Noach is born and he's born circumcised. And Hashem's like, yeah, he's going to lift the sin Adam brought upon the world. Wow. This is what I wanted to read, but that that was ridiculous. The generations until Noach had sown wheat and found among them or found among the harvest thorns and thistles. Wow. Okay, so there was thorns and thistles with the harvest. But with Noach's birth, the earth returned returned to its former state and again produced unsullied crops. If you went over my Behukotai podcast, one of them I talked about, the Olam Haba or the, uh, the Geula, when Mashiach returns and how the earth is going to go back to the state. So there's that uh, with the birth of Noach. This is ridiculous. Until Noach's birth, the animals disobeyed their masters. The cow rebelled against the farmer, the ox against the plowman. Thenceforth, the animals once again subjected themselves to human domination. Until Noach, people were born with hands that were merged into a single unit, including the fingers. So yeah, they did not have loose fingers like we do today. So counting to ten was probably very interesting. Anyway, Noach was the first man to be born with individually movable fingers to facilitate manual labor. Until Noach was born, the dead found no peace in their graves... The waters of the depths rose up and flooded the graves once in morning and at night. This was Hashem's punishment for the sins which they committed by day and by night. With Noach's birth, the corpses found respite. So rest in peace was totally not a thing until Noach was born. Okay. It says Noak was the inventor of all farming tools such as plowshares, sickles, and spades before his time. People used to work the soil with their bare hands that weren't uh that were a single union they they weren't able to be individually fingerized, so basically they had spades for hands so here it is it's at the very bottom of the page. It says actually. Actually, the correct grammatical translation of comforter would be Menachem. Noach's father, Lamech, however, was warned by Noach's grandfather, Metushelach, that the people of the generation would attempt to destroy Noach by means of magic. Hmm. Where have we seen this before? This week's tour portion. Let's use magic to destroy the children of Israel. It's like, mm, I don't know if that's going to work. Let's try three times. Okay, no, it didn't. Let's go get them to commit sexual sin. Okay, that worked. But wait, there was Pincus. <sighs> Rats. That rascally Pincus. Pincus. Anyway, again, I'm being dramatic, but that's how it went down. All right, so... He therefore advised him to give him publicly a different name, concealing his true name in order that their magic should not take effect. Oh, so we're just going to rename the redeemer of the world and hide his actual name. Okay. Cause we totally haven't seen that several times before and even currently. Wow. Well, well, well. Okay. That's me trying not to raise my voice. I really want to scream right now. That's just. Okay. So that's our verse, right? And we're looking up. Nachum. So here's how this word appears in the in the Bible. Okay. If you look. Hang on. Vai or va'yit nachem appears nine times. The first time this word appears is in Bereshit six six, where Hashem says, "I am sorry that I made the world." Like the wickedest man has become so much, I'm out. Okay, that, uh, and then. sheet 2467. What's going on over here? Yitzhak brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and took Rivka as his wife. And Yitzhak loved her and was comforted after his mother's death. Okay. So we got the relenting or repenting of making man. We got the comforting of a son who lost his mother, and then we got sheet thirty-eight. I'm just gonna look at these first three because I mean, obviously, we can go on and on. It says after a long time, Yehuda's wife, the daughter of Shua. Wow, literally just the n- Shua. I'm just gonna throw in the part of the name of the Redeemer of Israel, Yeshua Mashiach. She's gonna throw in Shua is who Yehuda was married to. You know what that means, Yehoshua. If you put Yehuda and Shua together, you have you you have extra letters, but you have the name Yehoshua in there. I, I just, I just, uh, just, uh, yeah, about that. Okay, bear thirty eight twelve. Play around with that and see what you get. Have fun. Don't say I didn't warn you when the room explodes. It says after a long time, Yehuda's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Yehuda recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were shearing his sheep, and he found, or and his friend Hira the Adulamite went with him. So after the death of his wife being comforted. So there's this whole aspect of comforting after tragic events and changing the mind, so to speak, relenting from destruction, which I think is just really amazing because I know I said I wasn't going to go on, but the next time before we start getting into the Haftarah, that this word va ye nachem is mentioned is in uh, our verse that we're looking at now, thirty-two fourteen. So we got repent, comfort, comfort, repent. Okay. So that's interesting that we have these terminologies, right? So let's go ahead and just look at the word. Nachem. We got, 50, or 50 plus 40, that's 90. 98. What do we got with Gematria on 98? Uh, that would be Sadi Khit. Um Khit. the Great Ones. Hamagen, the Shield. I love that. Just going to go ahead and say that. I love that. Um, uh, mean hog. Wow. Custom. That's cool. All right. So, oh, this is a little known one. I mean, not many people know about this. Segula. All right. Cool. Segula. Treasure. Kind of a, um,. Uh, auspicious thing you know it's called a sagula when you kiss the torah it's kind of like a not it's not like good luck or charm or whatever but it's along those lines of like something beneficial to do that's the equivalent of nachem this word for consoling repenting it's to be sorry like i'm sorry for doing that okay It means to breathe strongly, to pity. Wow. To to bring to ease. Literally the prophecy of uh, Noah's birth. Beresheet 529. What does it say? It says he named him Noah. And he said he will comfort us in the labor and painful toil of our hands caused by the ground that Hashem had cursed. So, what do they say in the value of a pasuk to bring this home? Not only does this pasuk have the same gematria as the pasuk from Parashah Balak, but it is this very same pasuk which the Yakut Shimoni quoted to illustrate the pasuk from Parashah Balak. The association of the verses is enhanced because both verses contain a form of the word repent as well as a form of the word speak in verse in both verses they talk about speaking as well as repenting these common words make the meaning of yakut shimoni more poignant the pasuk from parshah balak says god does speak and does repent the Pasuk which Yakut Shimoni quoted illustrates a situation where God did speak and did repent. So Yakut Shimoni is bringing out the inner dimension behind the words. I know on the surface you see God is not a man that he repents. He does he speak and not do. But it's like yeah, actually look at Shemot thirty two fourteen. Hashem said, I forgive. So there's that. And if you want to take it up a notch, just go ahead and talk about when Mashiach forgave Kepha those three times when he asked him if he loved him. So there's that. Also, it says, uh, yep, so that's it. The value of a pursuit. All right, so last thing I want to do before we end our time here, I want to bring down Lakutai Torah because there's a whole lot on prayer this week. Which I'm thinking to myself, like, why are we gonna wait till Parsha Balak and talk about prayer, or why, when we get to Parsha Balak, are we gonna talk about prayer? Like, can we pick a different Torah portion to talk about prayer? We're gonna use a a goy prophet to really bring this down. It's important to know. Um, there's a lot about um, Balaam. And if you go back in my uh, podcast in the history, you can find all this information. I didn't source this out because obviously I didn't plan to share it, but, um, Bilaam is the equivalent of Moshe. The nations wanted a prophet so that they can be like, yeah, if we only had a prophet like Moshe, we could have been the same way as Israel. God's like, well, I gave you Balaam. What'd you do with it? Nothing. Okay. Uh, then we have the fact that, uh again, He's doing all these prophecies about Mashiach and it's like quintessential for Jews and non-Jews about the final redemption. Like all that's in this Torah portion. It's like, okay, so now we're going to talk about prayer. It's like, okay, I'm telling you sometimes if we just, we have to get outside of our human context to get things. Cause we're just like, I don't see how this works, you know? Kind of like uh, Shomer Man said, or Iron Man said in the first Avenger movie. Is, it, is Banner here? Okay, Banner's here. Alright, I'm bringing a party to you. He comes around, Big Leviathan chasing him, and they're like, I don't see how this is a party. Clearly, Shomer Man was able to see something deeper. Yeah, like the Hulk transforming and going crazy, having one of the most epic scenes in the Marvel Universe. But anyway, that's that's how you party. Lakute Torah. What does it say? Back to Torah. This week's Ma-mar, Mamar examines the statement of Bilaam's prophecy that Hashem does not look to see sin amongst the children of Yaakov. Quick note from the Baal Haturm. Quick two notes from the Baal Haturm. Did you know? Verse 21 in chapter 23 about seeing no iniquity in Yaakov. It says the letters Chet and Tet, which are the primary letters of the word Chet, which is the word for sin, do not appear in the names of the tribes. Furthermore, if we go to verse 9 of chapter 24. or see so verse eight, where it says, God took him out of Egypt. According to the power of his loftiness, he will consume the nations that oppress him and crush their bones. His arrows shall pierce them. Okay. So we're talking about Israel, but it's in the context of a singular. So it says in Baha Balaam said this twice. The repetition indicates that just as God took them out of Egypt, so will he take them out from their exile among the Gentile nations in time to come. Perush Harukiach. When God took Israel out of Mitzrayim, also a mixed multitude of foreigners went up with them. Shemot 1238. But when God takes Israel out of its present exile, it is a nation that will dwell in solitude. Bamibar twenty three nine, Thus, when speaking of the exodus from Mitzrayim, the verses in the plural, he took them, Israel and the mixed multitude out. But with reference to future exodus, the singular is used. He took him, i.e. Israel alone out. Vekhur Lazahav based on Etur Bikurim. So just a quick note on why is it important to understand if you're going to choose to be in covenant or not, just know there won't be the Jews and the mixed multitude coming out of this exile. It's the Jews being taken out of exile, but it's redemption for the whole world. But again, if you read Zechariah specifically Zechariah 14, it's kind of a doozy for those who are not in covenant. So, choose wisely. Anyway, so it says that Balaam attempted to curse the Jewish people but ended up blessing them. The blessings of Balaam despite coming from a wicked person contain deep meaning and direction for the Jewish people. By the way, uh Rabbi Tonkatruck brings down that the intentions of Balaam actually took effect in those curses because if you really Look at the fact, yeah, we got blessed by Belam, but he didn't want to bless us. So there's a whole lot to that. But that just goes to say that if you ever feel like, oh, well, this person prophesied over me, it's like, well, are they Torah observant? Well, no, but they're a prophet. It's like, okay, think about that for a second, because you have to understand what the intentions are of someone who's going to speak into your life, someone who's going to bless you. If you're going to receive blessings from people with bad intentions, okay, you're going to get blessed, but you're going to get some other stuff with that. So this is why you probably want to make sure that, uh, you're getting, uh, nourishment and fed from kosher sources because the intent of people these days, uh, yeah. I mean, even people who are quote unquote in covenant, cause sometimes people say they're in covenant and they're not. So that's kind of interesting. But anyway, just want to throw it out there. Chances are you, you check a tree by its fruit and you can see people who are self-proclaimed prophets. You know, that right there would probably be your biggest red flag. But anyway, I digress. So what does it mean that Hashem did not see sin amongst the Jewish people? Were they truly completely righteous and without sin? And it goes on to another thing. It says, why did Balaam or Bilam use the names Yaakov and Israel interchangeably? So, by the way, the meaning, the way the Lik- Kute Torah sets up its teaching, asks a whole bunch of questions like it's doing now. So, with that being said, I'm going to read a couple more lines and then I want to just kind of pull out the, the big points and go into Torah Wellsprings to tie it all up. It says Israel or Yaakov and Israel use interchangeably. Why? Okay. What is the meaning, purpose and importance? This Mamar is a classic amongst the altar Rebbe's Ma Marim. For anyone who desires to understand the service of prayer. So we got a full treatise on the subject of prayer, its meaning and its purpose. Based off the two names, Yaakov and Yisrael. So we should know that Yaakov connotes the service of a servant, which is avodas Evid, the uh, service of a servant. While Yisrael connotes the service of a son. So we got the son versus the servant. Which I think is really cool that we open this podcast talking about being a servant. Which would connect to Yaakov. So bringing this down. Basically the concept is to overcome and break ourself. That's how we serve. It says the Midrash Tankuma states that hashem created the world in order to have a dwelling place below uh he desired to create a system that would be naturally devoid of godliness and his revelation this would be a world that contains creatures that neither feel nor see god's existence and on top of that because that's not enough possess free will to either perform evil and ignore or even blaspheme shalom, against God in every way possible or overcome their natural non-godly desires, which are caused due to the concealment and break themselves to serve God. So why is there evil in the world? That just got answered. What is the purpose of our life or what is the purpose of life? That just got answered. So there's that. Uh, Tefila and davening, it says performing mitzvot alone does not constitute the necessary avoda required to make a dirah for Hashem, basically, uh, the dwelling place for Hashem below. Rather, the mitzvot must be imbued with the feeling of love and fear of God and its prayers that create this kavanah for the mitzvot. And make the mitzvot able to draw down godliness. And create a dirah. Be tachtonim For Hashem. A dwelling place below. That's what the goal is. So we have to have this love and fear of Hashem. Like for fear and love. To unify the name of Ya Keh and Bav You know like we say in our Kavanah prayer. Our prayer of intent. And. Um, through that. We add that with our prayers, and that draws everything down. So, with our mitzvot, they got to be imbued with love and fear of God, and through the prayers that we have with the kavanah, with concentration, proper focus, we cause the mitzvot to draw down godliness. Somewhere over here I wrote, uh, because it was talking about prayer being the spine. Yeah, here it is. Prayer is the spinal cord of the mitzvot. So the spinal cord is this uh, conduit of bringing down the high parts of the body into the lower parts, dispersing and all that kind of stuff. So prayer is going to disperse your fear and love throughout all the mitzvot that you do. So this is why prayer is important. And while we have the verse that's called Pray Without Ceasing, you know, that's totally a thing. And, uh, you know, let me grab my Sador for a second because it has a very beautiful write-up on prayer in the beginning. Sleek eye. One of my books decided to take a dive. And we don't have no water right here. Anyway, uh, let's go ahead and do this. This is to source it out. uh, First Thessalonians, the uh, Garrett to Thessalonica. Chapter five says rejoice always, which is Mashiach. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of Hashem and Mashiach Yeshua for you. So, in other words, say lots and lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of brakas before and after you do stuff (laughs) while you're doing stuff. So, if you go to your siddur at the beginning, it has this whole thing on prayer. And the preface says an overview to feel a prayer molding yourself. Check this out. Prayer is something that stands at the pinnacle of the world, but people treat it lightly. Bearcoat 6B. And to serve Hashem with all your heart. Devarium 1113. What is the service of the heart? You should say that this is prayer. Tanit 2A. So ordinarily when the torah speaks of service it refers to offerings brought in the temple or on an altar what service is performed in the heart the service the talmud explains is prayer tiny to a this is an astounding statement it equates the jews daily prayer to the sacrificial service in the temple the most sacred place on earth the torah tells us that when the Jewish people in the wilderness completed the construction of the tabernacle, the glory of Hashem filled the tabernacle. Moshe could not enter the tent of meeting, i.e. the tabernacle for the cloud rested upon it and the glory of Adonai filled the tabernacle. Shemote 40 verses 34 through 35. Even Moshe dared not penetrate the sanctity of the tabernacle until God summoned him. Yet the sincere prayer of every Jewish Man, woman, and child, their personal service of the heart is elevated to the pinnacle of the universe. Moshe himself understood the lofty significance of Jewish prayer. Midrash Tankuma to Kitavo teaches that Moshe foresaw that the Holy Temple would eventually be destroyed. So he instituted the three daily prayers to take the place of the temple service. So. We have a lot going on here with that, but saying the pinnacle of the universe is key. And it also says, what does prayer mean to us, to ordinary human beings, to whom it may become a hollow rote recitation of holy words that we understand only superficially or perhaps even less? How can we transform our synagogues into tabernacles, our hearts into temples, or words into offerings? Let us seek a deeper understanding of prayer and in doing so elevate our awareness of ourselves, our aspirations, and our potential. So goes into all that uh, it's a doorway to another world. We need to understand the message. The power of being helpless is in prayer. So that's the thing with prayer. Alright, so Lakut or uh Slika, wow. Torah wellsprings. Springs Korach. Speaking of being helpless. Rabbeinu Bakya elaborates, when one falls on his face and closes his eyes and mouth, this demonstrates that he isn't able to see what can help him or view the matters that will harm him. He doesn't know how to take care of any of his needs. He can't help himself unless Hakadosh Baruku agrees to it. It is like his senses are annulled, tied his eyes and mouth closed and he cannot see or speak unless it is Hashem's will. Think about that in the context of covering our eyes to say say the Shema. Say la on that. For this reason, we pray with our feet placed together as though they are tied up. There's another source that brings down that the angels have one leg or that their feet are like are so close together that it looks like they're standing on one leg and that they don't have knees uh so there's all all that to source out but basically the way we look when we pray as jews we look exactly like the angels you know the kadosh 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 i don't know that whole prayer the isaiah six the Holy holy, holy that prayer, so when we're praying, we have our feet together because we're doing that, but I want you to note that it says as if our our feet are tied up, which means Akida, so we pray like we're in Akida this shows that a person can't go out and take care of his needs on its own and it goes on to say the Gentile nations do this as well because they put their hands together when they pray. They don't know why they pray that way. Reb Moshe Feinstein, may his memory be blessed, Igrot or Igrot Moshe Orakheim, volume two twenty five, discusses whether non Jews have a mitzvah tephila. He writes When they have a need, like when someone is ill or when they need Parnassah, I think they are obligated to pray. Don't ask if so, why isn't prayer among the seven mitzvot of the Noahides? It is because a means to believe that only God gives Parnassah, heals the ill, etc. When one doesn't turn to Hashem with Bitakon and with prayer, This means he doesn't believe in Hashem and that he believes in other matters. Even Gentiles, Goyim, pagans, are obligated to believe in Hashem. Therefore, they obviously must also turn to him for Parnasarifua and for all their needs. Going back up, it says, but the reason is to show that they don't have any strength. It is like their hands are tied and they're giving themselves over to the one they are praying to to help them to receive one's needs and to be protected from harm. The feet play a greater role. I said the feet play a greater role than the hands do. Therefore, we put our feet together and not our hands. So in conclusion, when you pray together with your feet or when you pray with your feet together. It's as if your hands and feet are tied, which is being like an Akida. So I close with this that there is something called the Orohaganus, and it's the concealed hidden light. And as brought down from this ridiculous source called the Cephas Mes on Sheet talking about Hanukkah. Simon 29, Rabbi, Rabbi Eliezer of Worms says in his work, the Rokiach. So, yeah, the Rokiach, Rabbi Eliezer of Worms. It says that the 36 candles we light on Hanukkah parallel the 36 hours for which the original light of the six days of creation shone before it was hidden away. That's ridiculous. So, when you're Celebrating Hanukkah is as if you were back in the first Shabbat in the garden, which was originally 36 hours. Okay. Which is the first three days of Let There Be Light. When the sun, the moon, and the stars came out on the fourth day, that other light went away, came back on the following Shabbat, and lasted for 36 hours, which... The first three days of creation were 12 hours each of daylight. So 12 times three is 36. The other 12 hours of each day were darkness. So you have the, it was evening and there was morning, first day, second day, third day, right? Okay. So just a little trick of the, of the mind. it, It seems like, but it's not, there's 24 hours completely in a day. 12 of those are light, 12 are dark. So, hence the thirty-six, But that comes back on Hanukkah. So, you want to get back to primordial creation? Celebrate Hanukkah. (sighs) Cephasimus. what's wrong with you? Okay. If this is so, then it appears that each Hanukkah candle draws from the Orhaginus, the hidden light of creation, and gives light in great darkness. As our sages hint with their description... Of the Orihaga news, so as our sages hand it with their description of the Orihaga news as a light which shined from one end of the world to the other. Hagiga 12a. Children that are in the womb, by the way, get to see with this light. That's a drosh for another time. Here we go. So it states Telin 27 Kavah El Hashem, Kavah El Hashem, Hoping Hashem, Hoping Hashem. The Midrash in Devarin Rabah 212 explains that this pasuk that from this pasuk that one should pray again and again, i.e. pray without ceasing. Right. Even a hundred times, perhaps his next tefila will be answered kiviti adonai. kiviti adonai. Okay, right. I won't keep going. I know that that would be greedy. I am greedy, but you know we need some redemption. Anyway, the finishing the drosh, <laughs> the Imre Pinchas from Parsha Bo, may his memory be blessed. Explains that this is because every day the Orhaganus becomes revealed in the world. And all to Philote said at that moment are answered. So why should we pray without ceasing? Besides the fact that we need to pray. Well, one of the reasons that if you pray without ceasing, you may or may not hit that one moment that the Orahaganu shines into the world and praying at that time will cause your prayer to be answered. Yeah. Talk about saying Baruch, Baba Shem Adonai and for your salvation, Hashem, do we hope all day long and please send Mashiach now. I mean, keep saying that enough. It's going to happen. But Hashem sooner than later, but we have to pray without ceasing, even a hundred times but we have to mean it. It can't just be like this monotonous rote thing. Like I'm just trying to get to a hundred. No, like it is, you literally need to mean it. You shouldn't be praying stuff that you don't mean by the way, just really focus on praying what you mean anyway. Um, yeah, that is why you should pray often. Perhaps you will say a tefillah when the Orhaga news comes forth, then your tefillah will be answered. The Imre Pincus writes, everything in the world is dependent on the Orhaganus. Without the Orhaganus, the world wouldn't exist. As the Zohar Teruma page 149 states, if light or if the light isn't hidden entirely, the world couldn't exist even for a moment. There isn't a day that this hidden light doesn't come forth to the world and from it comes existence to the world. Here's another reason why we can't just look at the whole world is just going crazy. There's no more hope anymore. It's like the Orhaka news is still showing at times. So that means it's not over yet. Anyway, it says this isn't a day or there isn't a day where the Orhaka news doesn't show. It says Hakadosh Baruku brings Parnasai into the world because of that going on, I think I highlighted it. Yeah, here it is. Throughout one's life, one must undergo afflictions, not fasting and not self-afflictions, rather by muzzling one's mouth and by controlling one's desires. That is greater than all fasts and see gufim of the world. Wow. It's better to muzzle your mouth and control your desires than to do all that other stuff. All one's sins will be forgiven and saved and he will. Or all one sins will be forgiven and he will be saved from Gehenna. Now, what were y'all sourcing out? That's ridiculous. Okay. Then to this. Thus, we have discovered another time when the Orhaganu shines. This is when one withholds from forbidden speech. It is often discussed that when one is disgraced and he doesn't answer back, he receives the power of Tefila. Whatever he asks for at this time and all of the Brackos he says, are answered. So I just want to point out there was this one time where Mashiach was being disgraced. He totally didn't say anything. Kepha writes about it, First Agarit, chapter two, verse twenty-three, and he was reviled. <clears throat> And did not revile in in return. When he suffered he did not threaten. But continued entrusting himself. To him who judges justly. We have this saying in in, uh, Hebrew. says Baruch Diane Amet. We say that upon the death of people. But we should also be saying that. When someone slanders us. As opposed to fighting back. And slandering back. Or gossiping back. Or biting back. You know. Just brute dynamite Kind of thing. Blessed is he is a true judge. Because we have to entrust ourselves to Hashem. Because again. There's a moment of atonement going out. There's a death that took place there. There's a nullification opportunity. Now don't be, be a doormat. Obviously. You know. If you didn't go shoot 20 people. And somebody said you did. And they put you on trial or whatever. Obviously you defend yourself. But. You know you're ugly, you're fat, you stupid Jew, or whatever, any of that horrible talk, those come at you, just Baruch Dinah Met, and just remember, at that moment, you have the power of Tefila, and the Or news shined right there, and now, whatever you pray, and whatever blessing you utter, will be answered. Bezrat Hashem. Ki li Hashem. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher natan lanu Torah temet, vechaye olam nata betocheinu. Baruch atah Adonai, noten ha-Torah.